Just to say that um, today is a little bit unusual. The normal way we do things is that the person who preaches in the morning will preach in the evening and they'll preach the same message. That's different today because I'm, I'm speaking in Eastbourne this evening, so I need to shoot off after the morning service. So, um, but Dan will be speaking at the evening service on the same subject, but from a different passage of Scripture. It's a good sermon, I've heard it. So um, just to say, it's the same subject, but it's going to be uh, Dan tonight. So we have just started a series on worship. Um, we introduced it last week. Today's topic is speech as worship, how we use our mouths, the things we say. We're going to be looking at time as worship, how we use our time for the glory of God, sex as worship, what is sex to the glory of God, food as worship, and work as worship. So it's a five-week thing, well, six-week starting last week, this is the second week. Um, we looked, just briefly go over what we looked at last week, the words, the two words used in the Bible for worship. The first one, the Old Testament Hebrews word, means to prostrate yourself or to get low. And the New Testament word, it means to kiss. So what you see is there's a humility element, and there's, but there's affection. So it's demonstrating affection to one who is superior to yourself. They're, they're the two main words used for worship. So you see that a worshipful life can't be proud, it can't be self-exalting, it can't be conceited, um, but neither can it be cold. It can't just be ritualistic. You can't just say, well, yeah, I worship, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, I worship this God, and it's cold, and there's no engagement of, the, of feeling, there's no internal affection, that's not worship, that's ritual. Um, but neither can it just be casual. You can't say, yeah, I worship Jesus, I love Jesus, yeah, sure. No, there's, there's, there's a sense in which um, you are so aware of his superiority that it's, it's, not, it's not a partnership between two equals. You are inferior, he is superior. Otherwise, it's not worship. And we're really contending for four things through this series. The first thing is this, is that we're made to worship. You can't stop worshipping. Even if you're an atheist, you can't stop worshipping. The issue is not about whether or not you will worship, it's what you will worship or who you will worship. You're made to worship. You're made to be devoted to something. And you see it in all kinds of different ways, whether it is a football team, whether it is a, um, a celebrity, whether it is a husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, whether it is um, a hobby or a pursuit. Peep, everybody worships. How do you know what it is what you worship? What do you think about when you're not thinking about anything? That's what you love the most. What is it? When you're in the shower, and you're, what does your mind go on to? And you just, you know, you're just doing what you do. What is the thing? That's most likely what you worship. What's got your heart? It's not what you pretend to love. Oh yeah, I'll do the worship thing now. No, it's what really grabs you. It's what really ticks your boxes, presses your buttons. It's what gets your desires, your longings going. It's what you will sacrifice for. It's what you'll gladly sacrifice for because you love it. It's worship. That's what you worship. So some people say church services are too long, they should be shortened down, then you get more people in. I don't want more people in. That's what it's going to take. I'm not interested. You're shooting yourself in the foot. You say, why? I'll tell you why. I've, I used to live ten minutes away from Millwall, and I see the fans arriving two hours early. It's not about too long or too short, it's about passion. It's about what's really grabbed you, it's about what you really love. So you can strip the thing down to 20 minutes and fill the house, what's the point? It's not worship anymore. And without any doubt, I'll say to you, it's God's desire that he has that place in your heart. Not just because he's a spoil sport or he wants to ruin things, but because he is the one that you were made to worship. 
And until you really see him, know him and are in a real relationship with him, other objects that you worship will never really satisfy. Second thing is that worship is 24-7. You don't have your little thing there, or now I can do what I really like doing. No, that's your worship, what you really like doing. It's 24-7. Third thing is that finding the right objects to worship is the difference between life and death. It's not, well, that's your God, this is mine, that's what you do, this is what I do. No, not good enough. Not good enough. It's okay to have different interests, different hobbies, different personalities, but when it comes to the thing that you worship, it's not okay, well, that's yours, this is mine. And finally, a way has been made for us to be restored back to worship. So, speech. I'm going to start with a confession. I messed up with this one big time this week. I don't say that just to be kind of trendy or popular or make people like me or feel like, oh, I'm just like them. I'm telling you because it happened. Um, I was in a situation which completely threw me and my guard was down. And um, I just, I said things and I thought afterwards, goodness me, I just wasn't ready for that at all. So this is a sobering subject, not just because of the kind of week I've had, but I think for all of us as we look into this, um, you will understand the gravity of this. This is sobering, okay? So hopefully it will be enjoyable, but sobering. We're going to look at the book of James. This, the passage will come up in a minute. Um, it's called, the book's called James because James wrote it. It's not James who was one of the twelve, but James was one of Jesus' brothers. He's the man who wrote it. He was writing to the Jews who had been um, scattered because of persecution. They were believers. They were getting persecuted. So they scattered. So he writes to them to encourage them. But the main point is this, they were believers. The stuff we're going to look at today in this passage is for believers. If you're not a believer, please do not be under the impression that I'm here saying you ought to live like this. I'm not going to just try and Christianise people that aren't Christians. That's like coming across a fig tree and thinking, man, that should be bearing grapes, so you just try and stick grapes on the end with a bit of sellotape. Well, that looks better. It's crazy. That, that's, you can't do that. You can't, you, can't, you, can't impo- you can't say to someone, this is Christian fruit, why aren't you bearing it? Well, they're not a Christian. A Christian is someone, not who has been, you may or may not have been brought up a Christian, that's beside the point. A Christian is someone who's been operated on by God. The heart of stone's been taken out, the heart of flesh has been put in there. The Holy Spirit indwells them. Their deepest desire now is to please and love Jesus. You see? So you cannot approach that person the same way you approach someone who isn't in that position. It's totally unfair. The person who's not a believer, what do they need to know? Well, they need to know that Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. Jesus rose again for them. Your sins can be forgiven. Your heart is not in such a bad state that God cannot operate on you. You are not outside of the love or reach of God. Know that Jesus loves you. Give your heart to him. That's the starting point. Give your life to him. Then when you've got a new nature and the Holy Spirit indwells you, then you can begin to start bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's so important. And so if you hear someone today and you're not a believer or you're not even quite sure where you're at, I want to say, so you say, so what's the relevance of this message to you? It's this. I want you to understand this is part of the Christian life that we're looking at today. If you're going to become a Christian, then this will be part of what we'll be discipling and teaching you into. So you're aware of that. It's important that you know that. But the, the passage we're going to look at is for saints. It's for those who have given their life to the Lord. And that's where we're going to go today. Primarily, I've called this message Boats, Fires and Water. So let's look, James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. 
If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bri- also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Next slide. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil, every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That is the entire chapter of James 3. The two big issues here in speech is number one, boasting, and number two, cursing. Boasting is speaking big. You say things that big yourself up. You say things to put yourself in a good light. It can be really blatant, and you know those people that are really blatant and you sit there cringing because you think this is really embarrassing, or it can be much more subtle, which the rest of us do. Some of us are, too, uh, are, are socially, uh, we, we, we've got our heads screwed on socially, we understand that it's embarrassing to really boast about yourself in that kind of way, so we just do it subtly instead. So we just refer to certain people knowing that that will paint us in a better light. Or we just refer to things in a very quiet way knowing that you know, it will make us look better. Boasting and cursing. Cursing means, the, the, the biblical definition is what you stab with words. You stab him with words. You're saying stuff and it's just killing people. You're killing people left, right and centre. You're like, you're, like you're like one of those people who just throws, throws daggers around with your words. And people are getting injured and wounded and they may smile like that, but inside they've just been hit with a knife. These are the things that James is talking about here. Destructive words, words that pull down instead of build up, words that attack instead of protect, words that discourage instead of encourage, words that depress instead of inspire. And words that constantly throw you, put yourself in a good light and make yourself out to be the guy who's really, or the girl who's really, you know, the one compared to everyone else. So let's look at this and how he tackles it because it's very important that we get right to the heart of it. He starts with the boats thing. He says, he looks at an illustration of a rudder and a boat and he says, look at these huge ships, these huge boats, they're going this stuff. You think, wow, what's steering those things? The little thing at the back? It's the little thing there. We'll turn it that way. The whole thing. What's the point? The point is this. It's only small. It's a little tongue, just a small thing. Small thing. And yet, what you say will steer the entire course of your life. Show me where someone's at, and I'll tell you how they got there through what they've said, or through what they haven't said. 
You see it particularly in relationships. Particularly in relationships. Most reconciliation issues that I work with, as part of my role, I guess it just happened, often comes down to he said, she said. You said that, and when you said that, you don't know what that did to me. And so I said that back. You said that to me. When I said that, I didn't mean that. So common. So tragic. People don't forget what was said to them. How often you're working with people and they say, and they say stuff about themselves and you're thinking, why are you saying that? They constantly say, oh, oh, oh I can't do that. Everything you ask them to do, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. You think, why do you keep saying this? And you, you get to know it better and it turns out that that's all they've ever heard. You can't do that. And they started believing it. I can't do it. And they become, I can't. I can't, people. Just been told it too many times. How much breakdown, how much distrust, how much harm is caused by what we say or what we don't say when we should? That's another thing, you see. It's not just sins that we do, it's the things we don't say. So someone's in a bad way and you, you, know, you don't say, there's a word needed at that point. There's a word needed, a word of encouragement, a word of building up. It's just, uh, it might come out wrong, they might think I'm silly. So we don't say it and they're left to just, their life drains away. The power of speech, oh my goodness. The power of speech. Why is speech so powerful? Here's why. If you go back to Genesis, God created the universe through speech. His words are creative. Creative power. Let there be light, and there was. Let there be this, let there be that, and there was. And then he made man in his... Right. That's why your words are so powerful. See, this Genesis stuff, which some people say, oh, it's so ridiculous, how can people possibly believe that and all this kind of thing? We're not going to go there now, there's a whole sermon. But look, everything that we experience day to day, you can point back to that. And it totally all fits in together. Your words are powerful because you are made in the image of God. So when you stab with your words, guess what you do? You kill and you injure people. And it can be through humour. I would say it's particularly British humour. It's basically built on cynicism. And elements of it are funny and it's not all bad. Okay? So I'm not just saying British humour is bad. But particularly we tend to find it quite... Um, how can I put it? People that have always got the, the answer on the, tip, on the tip of their tongue and it's the funny things. The funny, everyone's falling about laughing. But the person in the corner is dying from a heart wound. Because the thing that got the laugh was a knife. See, it's very sober and stuff, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that what marks us out from the animals is speech as well? And parrots, it's not speech, I just want to say that. <laughs> They're just repeating sounds. It's a different thing. Speech is about expression. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. I can meet someone for the first time, but it's not until they speak that I feel like, okay, now I understand who, who, who this person is. Yeah? You ever see, sometimes, I don't know about you, you can judge by appearances, but it's misleading. Sometimes you see someone, they're a brute, and they're, I don't, I don't know, covered in maybe tattoos or this, or, and you, you make an impression, and they go, hello, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> and you realise, it's at that point, it's like, right, I've, you know, I've got you now. What is it? Speech is expression. You express who you are. You express who you are through it. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's the other thing, right? If your talk is always negative, guess what? You're negative. 
And you can say to yourself, no, no, you don't understand that. I'll just say it. It's not what I really think. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm joking. That's classic. I'm just joking. What does Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are you harsh? And you're harsh. Something's got to change in there. We're going to get onto this later. Jesus said this. We're going to, this is part of Dan's passage tonight. Matthew 12, verse 37, if we could put the next slide up. It's up. It's amazing. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's talking about eternal destiny by your words, the things you've said. You might say, but I thought it's just you believe in Jesus. And yeah, but you believe in Jesus, guess what? Your heart changes. And then guess what? Your speech changes. So we've got boats there. We've got directions. It's all about direction. Then we've got this image of the forest fire. Now let's just take this to heart, please, because we've all seen the forest fires, haven't we? There was these, these huge ones in Australia recently. Do you remember those? There like 50 or so of these forest fires. Um, they were crazy, and they reckon that some of them were deliberately started. Other times it's just a cigarette. It's a cigarette on a hot day. You throw it down and bang. Well, what does James say? Well, James makes it really clear. The tongue's just like that. Look what, look what forest, little, little, uh, little fire will set, up, set flame. Same with speech, exactly the same thing. Your words can cause multiplied damage. Just a little comment here can kill. Just a little comment here can bring life. Look at Proverbs 18 verse 21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. This is, this is major stuff here. How many people live under the power of curse words spoken over them by those in authority? Parents? How many people... I remember um, when I was about 19, I started looking after a 17-year-old guy who was a new Christian. I said, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I'm going to be a doctor. I said, okay. I said, do you like sort of medicine and that? He's like, nah. <laughs> So I thought, this is, this is a few more questions here. So, so, uh, so, what's, you know, so why do you want to be a doctor? Well, my mum wants me to be a doctor. So, okay, I said, is she excited about that? Medicine and stuff? No. So what do you want to do? I want to be a computer programmer. I said, well, why don't you be one? He's like, whoa. It's like revolutionary. <laughs> and he's a really happy computer programmer now, right? The point is this. The point is this, his whole life was being governed by parental expectations. Now we need to honour your parents and all that, again, a different sermon. But, words spoken over us by those in authority have massive power. Particularly parents and sometimes teachers. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue and can cause huge, huge, huge damage. Whether it's put-downs, whether it's mockery, or maybe it's just silence. Some people limp their way through life as a result of curses spoken over them. Some people commit suicide. You hear about these people that get bullied. Bullied by text, bullied by email. Next thing you know, their parents find them hanging in their bedroom, 15-year-olds with a whole life ahead of them. What happened there? Well, the, 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 the dagger throwers got out and did their, did their work. Just a little text, that's words. A little email. Oh, well, yeah, a bit of a chat room. Let's, let's just nail them and gather people against them. Bang, kill them. Whole forest can be set, set fire. It's frightening, guys. It's frightening. You're made in the image of God. You've been brought back into a relationship with God through all that Jesus has done for you. And now, you're called to be a worshipper. The impact that should have on your heart and your speech is huge. Huge. And the British delight in being negative as well. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it's just ridiculous. I was in a cafe the other day and it was raining. 
So the woman is becoming a friend of mine who works here. She said, so, well, what have we done to upset God? I said, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> so hopefully we'll have it at some point. But it was like, oh, you know, and then you go out and it's funny. Everyone's like, oh, man, alive, this heat is crazy. When's it going to cool down? You think, what is it with the British? So negative. You know, let me just say this to you. When you become a believer... You'll become aware of areas of your culture and your way of doing things that are all wrong. And at that point, what do you do? You look to shed it, drop it. You don't hold on to it. And say, well, that's part of what I am. I tell you, if it's not part of God's kingdom, drop it. Because it's horrible. And it will bring death. It will bring absolute death. Are you always moaning? Are you always whining? Are you gossiping? Gossiping is deadly. We celebrate it culturally in all the magazines. Gossiping is a killer. You've been spoken about? You've been spoken about. How does it feel when you find out? Slander. Whole tabloids thrive on it. Just, well, you know, there's a few clues there. Let's just make up a whole story. All of those things are completely unworshipful. So what is worshipful speech? What is worshipful speech? Encouragement. See, it's too easy. It's too easy to tear down. It's too easy. It's much. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to build something and just tear it down? Toddlers are champions at tearing Lego down, sandcastles down. It's like you, or you build them something, and admittedly, as a parent, I do get too into it sometimes. I'm very excited about what I've built. I admit that. But you're like, touch it, you know, and you get really, you know. And then, and then, they, and then they, the kids come in and like, boof. Ah, and you're like, cup of tea, you know, because it's like, ah, and you, obviously you've got to walk them through it, but actually it's easy to just destroy. Yeah, it's easy. No problem. With two of our kids, particular destroyers of sandcastles. Particular. And you know, you know, you do get into it, don't you, of sandcastles, and they just come and tread on it, and you're like, and you think, it's so easy. What does it take to build? Time. It takes time. Our words should build people, should construct them, put them together. And here's the frightening thing. You can say 99 words that build and one word that destroys and what one gets remembered. I hate that. I hate that because I just feel so unfair, but it's reality, isn't it? It's reality, but we've just got to keep building. Words that build, words that impart grace, words that give people a sense of life, words that inspire, words that help people, truthful words. See, I think we're quite good on the encouragement front. I wonder how truthful we are with one another. The Bible says, speak the truth to one another in love. Do we do that? Do we do that? Well, we sit alongside someone and we say, you know when you said that the other day, I just, I was concerned because I just thought maybe you're thinking this. I'm just not sure you've got that right. Do we do that? It should be in a a church. If it's not in a church, we're being cowardly, we're being um, ungodly, and we're not going to come to maturity. We've got to be able to speak the truth to one another in love. So you encourage, you're gentle, you're tender, but you speak it. Because that's how we grow, isn't it? This is the how we use speech in a worshipful way. But the most poignant thing for James is this, and it's our final point, and it's about the images of a spring, and it's bubbling out salt water and fresh water. James is looking at it and saying, there's blessing and cursing coming out. Right, you got the hallelujah, it's the hallelujah brigade, right? So they're in the seventh heaven one minute. Oh, praise you, Jesus. And someone turns in their tongue, they're like, and it's like, man, 
I, I remember working with a guy once, we were in a van. He said, I've got a problem with Christians. I told him, I said, oh, what's the problem? He said, well, I see them all coming out of the church, big hats and dress, all look, oh, praise the Lord, dear, you know. And then I accidentally bumped into one and she gave me what for? And I thought, ah, it's exactly what James is talking about here. Hypocrisy. They speak to God different from how they speak to other people. And it is horrible. They go all spiritual. And all, and it's a, and then they're sharp with other people who are made in the image of God. And it is terrible. And it is unworshipful. And if this is you, you need to repent of it. And you need to apologise to the people you've done it to. And you need to go and you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I've been convicted of hypocrisy. That's what you need to do. Humble yourself. And ask for forgiveness. I have to do this. Quite a lot. It's being truthful. Because if you don't, there's no, there's no, there's no cohesion to your testimony as a Christian. It doesn't, your confession doesn't hold together. It's like you've got a tin and it says on the outside pineapple chunks, you look inside and it's prunes. You think it just doesn't add up. You, you, people look and say, well, they're that, and then they see you that. And you can't hide it for long in the workplace, on campus. You can put on a show, but when you're working with people, they'll see it. You've got to be true. And I know what a lot of you think, you're thinking, well, this seems like it's perfection. No, it's not. It's, it's not. We all, James says we all stumble in many ways. But the problem is this, what do you do when you do do it wrong? Because I, I reckon, because I know how easy it is for me, I reckon many of us, we just hope no one noticed, or we hope they'll forget about it. People noticed, they won't forget about it. Okay? So what do you do? Apologise. That maintains your testimony. That maintains your witness. You say, look, what I did then was totally unchristian. And, um, you know, it just, it was, all, it was all wrong. I just want to say I'm really sorry. And they go, oh, of course not. I didn't even notice it. They did. They're just being polite. So you walk, see, seriously, because you can walk off thinking, oh, why did I, there was no point apologising because, no, they did know. <laughs> People aren't stupid. Anyone here stupid? See? Oh, do they not? People aren't, people notice things. You might think, well, I'm nice to nice people. Surely that's Christian. Let's see what Jesus says about this, Luke 6. If you love those who love you, what benefits that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefits that to you? Even sinners do the same. Jesus is saying, no, that's not Christian, being nice to nice people. That's what everyone does. Everyone's nice to their friends. Nothing Christian about that. Nothing else. What's Christian then? The heart of your witness is what? That you love your enemies. You love your enemy. That's the heart of it. Those people who wind you up, those people who don't like you, those people who gossip about you, them. When you love them, that's Christian. That's Christian. And that's worship. You might think, I can't do this. Exactly. You need the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You need, there's no way you can do this naturally. You need the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will empower you for this for this. And people will notice and they'll say, this is different. What is it? This is the gospel and the gospel works. See, this is about identity. What are you? Who are you at your heart? The language James uses is just the same as Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says this. He says, it's up on the screen. Here it comes. You will recognise them by their fruits. It's the classic situation of the apple tree trying to convince everyone it's a lemon tree even though apples are hanging off it. There's no integrity there. You, you, people recognise it. How do I? You know you going conquering 
It's been a little while, but hopefully Levi's getting older. We can, I can start again and have an excuse for doing so. So you go conquering in the autumn. How do you know which ones are the conquer trees? Well, there's conquers on them. It's not rocket science. You recognise it by what's there. Not simply by, not, you, may, you know, you've got a conquer tree which protests. No! You know, it's conquers. Jesus said it in Matthew 12, the tree is known by its fruit. Look at this, out of the overflow of the heart. What's in your heart? Who are you? James takes it to the heart. What's in your heart? He's saying if bitter jealousy is in there, or if selfish ambition is in there, you're going to have trouble. That's all you need. Either bitter jealousy, something bitter, there's a bitterness in your heart. You either feel you've been wronged in some way, or you just carry, you carry that. It's a bitter root in your heart. Or jealousy, that's in your heart. Or selfish ambition, you want to get ahead. You want to show that you're the top. You want to look more spiritual. You want to look more able. You want to be more popular. If that's in your heart, then every vile practice is going to be in there. Every vile practice. They're the heart issues that you've got to deal with. They're a massive door. It looks, a bit, it looks quite different from Jesus. Let's look at what Jesus was like, Philippians 2. Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count, prefer them. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. If you've understood this, if you're here, you call yourself a believer. You've understood that Jesus, being very God, chose to become a man, laid aside the rights and privileges of being God, and was willingly limited to a human body, and then to be tempted for the whole of his life, and tested, even though he'd done nothing wrong, and to withstand every temptation that came his way, because he loves us on our behalf, and then to willingly obey death, who was a lesser power, and to be crucified, and to allow himself to go through that, and then to be forsaken by God, the Father, because he was being punished for our sins, to willingly do all of that, and there you are trying to push yourself forward. How does that work? You're a follower of Christ. It's not about asserting your rights. Jesus had every right. He's God. He could say, I want to be God. He didn't assert his rights. It wasn't, it wasn't weakness, it wasn't a doormat. He, out of love, out of love, he said, no, I'm going to make myself low, I'm going to serve, because I want, it's the only way to win them back. So you've got to get this. Because it's, it's something to be received gratefully as a gift, but then the power of the thing goes to work inside of you, and you say, now, by the grace and power of God, I'm going to live the same. I had a situation come up just the other day, you know, and... Something came up, it was a misunderstanding, and suddenly I was down to preach this Friday in Norwich. Now, I don't mind Norwich, Tom, it's good. I don't mind Norwich. But I'm preaching in Brighton on Saturday, and then I'm preaching here twice on the following Sunday. And it was like, oh, I just thought, I, I, I don't think I've got the capacity to, to do that, young family preparation, all it's going to take. And I just felt God just say, because it was a bit about me and another guy. I thought he said he would do it. He thought I said I would do it. And you, you think, you could start defending your corners on this one. And I just felt God say to me, serve him. And it's like, yeah. So I just emailed him, I'll do it. Then the event was cancelled. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah, there's grace there. But you, you get those moments, it's like, what do you do? You serve. You prefer. You prefer. Why? Because I'm a really nice guy. No. I'm a helpless sinner, but I've been saved by this Jesus. He now lives in me by his spirit, and I want to look like him. Amen? 
Yeah? So that's, that's the power of the gospel going to work in your life. It's not legalism. It goes way beyond legalism. It's just legalism. Legalism can't do anything. You, legalism, you can be nice. You can, oh, I read my Bible for 10 minutes. Oh, that's legalism. What is this? This is power. This is, I love reading God's word because his spirits are working me. This is, I love talking about Jesus. Why? Because I'm amazed by him. This is, I love singing to him. Why? Because I love him. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the gospel will do in your life. This is my speech now. It's just filled with grace. It's truthful. It's loving. What I'm transparent. I'm not trying to cover my tracks. I'm not making up one little lie. Then I have to create a web of lies because I've started a silly little one. Why? Because the gospel's gone to work in me now and I won't do it. Yeah? Because I'm following the one and I, when I read about him, he's pure truth. And he doesn't fear man. And he's not trying to engineer circumstances because he trusts in his father and he lives in me. Yeah? Anyone inspired by this? You should be. Because this is a robust Christian life that God is calling us to. It's what the theologians call a cruciform life. It's that your life, your thoughts, your attitudes, they're shaped entirely by the cross. So in one sense, it's just death, death, death. But we know where death leads to, don't we? Resurrection. And so many Christians, they want the resurrection, but they don't want the death. No, no, no. Walk the death, and the life will come. The life will come. Hallelujah. This is true wisdom. It just ends on wisdom. It's all about wisdom. Okay? It's all about wisdom. It's not bolshy, it's gentle. Not pushy, not self-asserting. Secure and happy in God. Anyone like to be secure and happy in God? (laughs) That's wisdom from above. That's wisdom. Your speech will change. You'll give people grace. You won't jump down their throat. You won't always have to have the last word. Any of you argumentative? I am naturally horrendous at this. And you know what I've realised? I've realised that I can win arguments if I really try. But in doing so, I'm killing people. And then next time I'm with that person, I'm thinking... There's just just a little, it's only one layer, but just a little wall's gone up. It's not quite the same. I won the point, but a little wall's gone up. And then they're just a little bit nervous. Their guard's up around me because they they know that if they say something, then bang, I'll be on them. I'll be getting the cannons out. Now, you've got to contend for truth. But why do you contend for truth? Ultimately, why? You're contending for people. It's so hard, isn't it? It's easy when you bump into someone and over a coffee and a toast on a Sunday morning. It's normally to get through that. It's to get through that without getting to a row is normally quite easy. But when you're with your parents, maybe you live with your parents, or you go home for Christmas or whatever, or husband or wife or close friend, or when you live together or whatever, this detention need wisdom. Need real wisdom. You think, well, how do I get this wisdom? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says that Christ has been made your wisdom. Right? Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. What's the answer? Jesus. So we're going to break the bread and wine in a minute. And when we do so, I want you to come and say, Jesus, I'm coming near to you again. I want more of you. <gasps> yeah? I want more of you to sustain me. I want to encounter you in this bread and in this wine.
I want to remember you, but I want to encounter you as well. Because I can't do it. Left to my own devices, I get angry, I get bitter, I get selfishly ambitious. Jesus, just let the gospel and all that you are break in again by the power of the Holy Spirit. If your speech is self-honouring, if your speech is self-exalting, if your speech is self-praising, if your speech is aggressive, if your speech is unreasonable, if your speech is biased and untruthful or destructive or insincere, something is seriously wrong in your heart. And you need to get right with God. You need to repent. And you need to get right with the people that you've hurt. Because they did notice and they haven't forgotten. And what will happen is what? What will happen? I'll tell you what will happen. The walls will come down. And we get the unity of the Spirit. And the church suddenly begins to look more like a city on a hill and it's shining out. And people say, this is different. This isn't just they're a nice group of people. I think people genuinely think that. They're a nice group of people. In the Bible times, is that what they thought? No, they thought these people are peculiar. Not because not they dress weird and speak in old English, but they're, pe- they're peculiar because they live by a completely different set of values. They are totally honest, but they totally love one another sacrificially. This isn't just all smiles and, ah, Sunday morning, two hours. Ah, yeah, great, yeah. You know what? No, I didn't plan this, but I've got to do this one. When people say, I haven't been at church a couple weeks, I've been having a hard time. I haven't been at church a couple weeks because I've been having a hard time. What? What? I couldn't put the show on. I couldn't put the show on this week. I was so emotionally drained. I couldn't smile the whole time, so I just didn't come. Is that what we are? Surely not. Surely not. If you can't go to your church and someone says, what kind of week you had? And you can't say, rubbish. You are in the wrong church or you've got something wrong with you. We're supposed to be sharing our lives with one another. Hey? Now, you might not want to go into all the details, but you can say, just really, really naff. And I need double helping of jam on my toast this morning. <laughs> or whatever it is you need. Just be honest. You can do that. It's so important. It's so important. Because you want to build community, the real thing. And as we get bigger, that shouldn't, that shouldn't change. You know, it's when we started, there was 12 of us. You know, Sunday would be, you'd start, you met at our house at 10, and then you'd probably finish at about 5 or 6, and there'd be everything in between. Those of you that were there, remember, dinner, lunch, and you're treading on each other's toes, spilling drink over each other. You know, it's, just, it's more community. It's more, you, you get to know each other closer. It gets bigger, it's less and less, so you can just come, get in for the song, slip out before anyone notices. I would say to you that it's not church. You're attending somewhere. Church is where you become part of a body. Yeah? Where you're learning how to worship together and you're making your mistakes, but as soon as you make them, you're getting right, you're asking for forgiveness and you're growing on together. Don't we want that? I think we all long for that, don't we? Let's build on it together. And I will just say this by way of finishing. Back to those of you, you just might not be sure where you're at at all on this front. I want to say this is the real thing. Just because Christians are sometimes idiots, please see beyond us to the gospel. We're learning, we're learning, we're trying, but this power of Jesus Christ... This power, this Jesus, I'll tell you what, he's a life changer. He's an absolute life changer. And you need Jesus to change your life. You might say, well, why? My life's okay. I'll tell you why. If you want to be able to stand before God and have a relationship with God 
and know that God's forgiven you and have your position put right with God, then you need Jesus. If, you, if, you, if you're fine as you are and you don't want to be put right with God, but you just want to live a decent life and make a bit of money and just enjoy yourself, then okay, you don't need Jesus. But you weren't made for that. You were made for worship. You were made for a relationship with him. And so I plead with you, I plead with you to put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray and get the band up and we'll take the bread and the wine. Lord, we love you. Keep us from pretending, Jesus. Keep us from falsehood. Keep us from self-righteousness. Keep us from bitter jealousy. Keep us from selfish ambition. Keep us, Lord, from ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, that you have become our righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that you've forgiven us as a free gift. Thank you, Jesus, that you've done all that we could never have done for us on our behalf and given it to us. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for this grace that is ours, that when we mess up, we can come straight back into your presence and get right because a way has been made and it's you, your body. Thank you so much. Thank you for grace, Lord. Thank you for this gift of grace. I pray let your grace flourish and abound upon us as a church more and more. And let worship flow, I pray. Let worship flow as we gather together. Let worship flow in the workplace, in the way we speak. Let worship flow when we're indoors with those we live with and love in the way that we speak. Let worship flow where there needs to be repentance and confession. Let it come, Lord. Let humility, give grace for humility. Give grace for people getting right together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take the bread and the wine, as we sing these songs, if you've got to get right with someone, go and do so before you take the bread and the wine. Go and do so. Okay? If it hurts really bad doing so, I suggest it's because you don't do it enough. <laughs> In the end, it becomes habitual. It becomes easier when it's habitual. Easier. Never easy. But I would ask you to do that because we want it, this thing to be real and all to the glory of Christ. Shall we stand? I'm going to sing.